God is showing us our sin, but he's also giving us a hunger for repentance and a hunger to be close to him. And then, or how can you use it? And it happens in individuals and it happens in families and it happens in churches and it can happen in the church, capital C, worldwide. Is America heading for implosion or a new great awakening? Hi, and welcome back to part two of our discussion about the trends and the realities of what's happening right now. Welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund. It's a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today again we're talking with Joel Rosenberg in Jerusalem to address that very issue. Joel, welcome. Glad you're with us on this important second session on this topic. Thank you, Carl. I so enjoyed the first session uh, conversation with you and, 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 and even more with your wife. And so uh, I think if anyone missed that, this is going to be a really great episode. Uh, but I definitely encourage people to double back and, uh, and listen to the to, to part one of this two part series. Yeah, exactly. You know, we we spend a lot of time talking about what's happening right now in the last part of this uh, podcast. But uh, really, we can't really understand what is truly happening right now unless we understand sort of history. And we went back a little bit to the Jesus movement in the 70s. But you've also done some thinking about, you know, some of the other historical foundations for this. And then later, we're going to talk about what are the implications for the epicenter? What are the implications for America and Israel going forward? So, Joel, maybe talk to us a little bit about the history that all of what we're talking about in terms of revival or Great Awakening really rests on in America. So big picture context, we almost never see a great spiritual movement of people, you know, coming to Christ by the millions and millions in any country unless we've seen great catastrophe and sorrow first. Mm. Okay, let's stay outside the United States for a moment. And you just look at the Bible and you say... God revived his people and drew the Jewish people back to a relationship with him, but usually only after he had punished our people and at times had to drive us even out of the country into exile. And then we missed him and we realized that it was not him that was at fault. We were at fault. We had abandoned God and his ways and his word, and we needed to get right with him. Now, we needed his help to do that, but he always showed up and he always did it. And he always raised up leaders that seemed unexpected to be part of leading, you know, to be shepherds, to bring lost sheep back to a relationship with the Lord. And we see it time and time again through the Bible. But then probably the most dramatic great awakenings that are happening in our world in our lifetime would be China and Iran. Now, if, if some people are new to this podcast or they're just like, I'm sorry, wait, I think he just said China and Iran. Does he mean communist China? Yes, I do. Does he mean the Islamic Republic of Iran? Yes. You're saying, Joel, that they're the, the two greatest spiritual awakenings in modern history are happening in those two countries. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because what happened is in China in the early 1970s uh, is that God let Satan like burn the country to the ground in a sense mm. because – uh, when the communist uh, revolution took over and Mao Zedong, you know, really secured his power and and focused on this sort of communist cultural revolution inside, all the Christian missionaries were forced out of China, and there'd been a you know a generation, several generations of people who had gone into China. Billy Graham's wife, her family, were part of that um, movement um, and to to reach China with the gospel, which is not easy to do. 
and it got harder because all the missionaries got driven out. And then many of the Christians were killed or arrested. So you were down, you know, the experts I've talked to say that you were probably down to about a quarter of a million Chinese followers of Jesus who were truly born again, walking with the Lord. Uh, now, that's a lot for, for Israel because we only have 30,000 believers here after yeah. 75 years, right? But we're, that, but they were a small country. That's a massive country. 250,000 wasn't that many. But today, you know, some 50 years after the cultural communist revolution in China, the estimates are somewhere between 80 and 100 million followers mm-hmm. of Jesus. Why? Because they have prosperity gospel over there? No. Come to Jesus, <laughs> no. we'll give you a Rolex. No. no. Right? There's not there's no Christian television, there's no book Christian bookstores. You can't go to a yeah. parable or family Christian bookstore or whatever is in America now. There's no Christian radio Zippo. So yeah. what's happening? God's spirit is moving. It's a, it's it's actually worth a whole show and we should get somebody to come on and teach us yeah. lessons from the the communist China cultural revolution of the seventies. And now the, the, the Jesus revolution in China. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Then in Iran, right? 1979, uh, a fairly secularized, fairly modern country by 1979 standards gets caught up in a revolution. It's not a Jesus revolution. It's an Islamic Islamist revolution in which the Ayatollah Khomeini comes out of exile, comes to Iran and everybody thinks he's the Messiah. Of, of Islam, possibly the 12th imam in, in, mm-hmm. in the Shia thinking. Uh, he's not. But but what happens is all the hopes of the Iranian people, like, wow, this is going to be awesome. This is really what our country needs. Khomeini crushes them and leads them into 45 years, almost coming up on 50 years of, of pain and suffering and horror. But it creates the context for the greatest spiritual awakening in the history of Islam, uh, certainly Shia Islam, where at least a million Iranian Shias have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe the number is much higher, but that seems to be a conservative number. We had, of course, um, an Iranian follower of Jesus Christ, a Muslim convert on the podcast just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I think we should have, again, Hormoz Shariat, who wrote the book, uh, The Iran Awakening, right? I mean, th- th- he's the most famous Iranian evangelist in the world. And so it'd be great yeah. to have him on to analyze this as well. So those are the two big ones. Well, yeah. You say, well, what are the patterns? The pattern is suffering. Yeah. The pattern is horror. And then that creates the climate where people are like, I need God. And whatever God that is, you know, in, in communism, it was atheism. Like there is no God. People are like, yeah, there is. And I need him. Or in Islam, in, in Iran, it'd be Allah is God. And they're like, I don't think so. I'm leaving Islam. I'm looking. I'm searching, and they're finding Jesus. So, yeah. so when you look at the United States, I would say, well, I'm going on and on. So let me stop there for a second, so you can yeah. well, guide the I mean, conversation. I, goes no, I, I think what you're saying is it's not an either or situation. It's either uh, awakening and revival, or it's ultimate destruction, evil, and oppression. But like in a place like Iran or in communist China, it's both and. Those things are true. You know, people are being imprisoned. People are suffering. Evil is being promoted in some way, shape, or form. But also there is life and there's a revival and there's a growth and there's an awakening among those who are, are spiritually attuned. And, 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 and are, I think you're saying in history in America, we also see this taking place now and also in previous eras as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, and I think you know, what do we want for China or Iran from American foreign policy? We want them to be calm and friendly, which is wonderful. And we should pray for those countries to be 
liberated and calm and friendly and, and nice sure. and peaceful. But God has a higher objective than just good foreign relations. His yeah. objective is that people realize that they're lost and about to go to hell to pay the penalty for their own sins forever and ever and ever, unless they accept the one way to not have to pay for your own sins in hell forever and ever. And that's that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins on the cross here in Jerusalem. And then if you accept that atonement, that forgiveness, that sacrifice on our behalf, then we don't have to go to hell forever and ever. We can go to heaven forever and ever because of this free gift of salvation, because somebody has to pay the penalty of sin. So, when you have a, a personal crisis or you have a national crisis, that can shake a person to the point where, like, whatever else I was trusting, communism, Islam, or a, kind of a thin, you know, inch deep Christianity or whatever, none of that is helping me. I need to be all in with Jesus because that's the only thing. And so we often need to be shaken very, very deeply. And that's the climate. Now, there is a point, according to Bible prophecy, that there's no return, right? The, the, the judgment is coming and countries are going to implode and collapse on the road to forever, right? We're, but we're not there yet. Now, we mentioned in the last podcast, you know, Americans have murdered 63 million babies in the womb. 63 million. So God is going to judge the United States. There's a point in which he's going to pull the Jenga stick out and let it collapse. And I wrote a book, you know, I'm not really promoting the book, but I'll just, I will say it. This is, I mean, more than a decade ago, 2012, I wrote a book called Implosion. Can mm-hmm. America recover from its economic and spiritual challenges in time? And I'll save you some money. You don't have to buy it or, or you can get it from the library <laughs> or whatever, but, but I'll save you some money by saying the answer is, I don't know. Meaning mm-hmm. the sins of America at in 2012, more than a decade ago, were so bad that Judgment is certain. Okay, yeah. at that point we were, we'd killed like fifty-five million babies. Okay, now we're at sixty-three million. Right, so judgment is coming. The question is, well, it hasn't come yet. So are we just going to give up? Well, no. The Bible tells us don't grow weary of well doing, and don't and don't give up in preaching the gospel and making disciples. So, and God has brought, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, God has brought a sweeping, tr- transformative. Great awakenings and revivals within the church, and we'll talk about the differences, at least three different major inflection points in American history. In the 1700s, in the 1800s, and then in the 1970s, heading into the 80s. That's when I got saved, in the Jesus Revolution of the early 1970s. That's where my parents got saved. That's where my wife got saved. That's where many people got saved, millions and millions and millions of Americans. So God isn't done with us yet, and as we record this in 2023 – yeah, maybe judgment's around the corner. But until then, let's pray for revival inside the church and let's pray for a great awakening. And the more you learn about the past great awakenings and revivals, just in the United States alone, the more encouraging it is because you think, wow, God has done that. Yeah. And I'll just add one last point on this. One of my sons, as you know, Carl, uh, is named Jonah. And Jonah, when he was growing up, was like, Dad, how could you name me after like the worst prophet in the world? I mean, you didn't obey, you like hated all this. It's ridiculous. Why would you do that? I'm like, okay. I really wasn't thinking about that. I know I probably should have been and your mother too. But what I was thinking was God loves the neighbors. What's the story of Jonah? Yeah, we, we think of the VeggieTales version about him being in a you know belly of a fish or whale, whatever it was, because he was disobeying. But the, what's the real story? The real story is there was a capital city of the most wicked empire on the planet, the Ninevites. And the city was Nineveh. And Jonah was supposed to go and preach judgment. 
And finally, he thought, all right, well, I hate the Ninevites. So sure, all right, I'll fine, I'll go, whatever. He goes and he preaches for a few days, right? Three days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he's preaching judgment. He's not preaching unless you repent. He's just saying, mm-hmm. God's going to destroy all of you. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, and what happens? The people are so struck by this. They believe him. The spirit of God moves upon them. And the Bible tells us that everybody who started repenting, weeping, gnashing their teeth, even the king, they stopped eating, they stopped drinking water, they stopped letting their animals eat or drink water, and the whole capital city got saved. God said, I'm not going to judge them right now. They repented, so I relented. You know, and 150 years later, yes, he judged them, but not right then. One more, about I have to say this about this, uh, because I mention it in the book. In the Bible, another biblical story uh, there's a man named, a king of Judah named Manasseh. Horrible, horrible. The, probably the worst king in the history of, Man- uh, of mm. Judah. And he's so bad that God says, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to send the Babylonian empire to come and consume you and destroy you and take you into captivity. But late in Manasseh's life, really late, he comes to faith in the one true God of Israel. Totally repents. God accepts his repentance. His son is horrible and starts to lead the country in a horrible way, but he's assassinated. So now his grandson, Josiah, eight years old, takes the throne. You've had eight-year-olds. Would you put them in charge of a country? No. <laughs> no. I would, right? But at, when he becomes 16, he discovers the Lord, and he gets excited about the word of God. And as he grows, he starts telling his people, his team, make these all these reforms. And for 55 years, I think it is, something goes with that. He makes these dramatic sweeping reforms. He teaches people the Bible. He, he draws people to the Lord. And God specifically said, I'm still bringing judgment, but you won't see it with your eyes because you've been so tenderhearted before me. And you're, and you're bringing, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but people should read it, that I'm going to kick the can of, of judgment up the road a half a century. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we are. Mm-hmm. And the question from the 70s is, well, all right, now we're half a century beyond, like, is God going to kick the can again? If Will he pour out his spirit in another huge awakening? That'd be exciting. That's what we have to hope and pray for. Right. We can't just give up. Right. Well, uh, you're right. We're going to take a, a break here, but you know, we're going to come back and we're going to unpack this a little bit more. The, the, the way in which God uh, distinguishes uh, between reviving the church and awakening the culture. And can we even hope that God would do it again. We're going to take a break. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Our verse of the day today is found in Matthew 24, 12 to 14. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Our prayer requests today are, number one, pray that the new generation of young people will move out from revival to awakening. And second, pray that Jesus will draw people out of darkness into his light in the U.S., Israel, and the greater Middle East. Joel, we're back, and there's so much to unpack about the difference between a revival of a church or the church and awakening a culture. And 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 we've seen this before, right? I mean, this isn't the first time where American culture has been dark and, and broken. I think I recall reading in history about the first great awakening. America was full of lawlessness and, and drunkenness, and and there were spiritual movements that were heretical. All of these things were taking place in America. And then God brought a revival first, and then a great awakening. Maybe some other ways to unpack What is the difference between a revival and an awakening? Well, the simplest way to think about it, Carl, is that you you can't be revived unless you've already been vived. (laughs) You know, if you don't have any life in you, spiritual life, if you haven't already come to faith in Jesus, then what is there to revive? Mm -hmm. By definition. Now, in American evangelical culture, particularly in the South and the Midwest, the term revival has often meant – a gospel preaching, you know, week or day or month or whatever. So often you hear like in the Southern Baptist world or other places, you, you, we're having a revival week or come to the revival. Mm-hmm. And it certainly means within the church, but it, it's mostly about gospel preaching and people coming to faith. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a fine use of it. But again, I would just say the simplest way to understand it is you can't be revived unless you're revived. So sure. revivals happen inside a church, inside the church to take people close to the Lord, get them to, you know, focus on, 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 on the need for repentance. Anne Graham Lotz once told me that uh, her, uh, a television network was coming to film some big interview with her father, Billy Graham, and her mother was like, like had sh- all the kids cleaning the house like, like maniacs, like just they were, you know, <laughs> doing everything just to be so. And, and, and finally, Ruth Graham thought, okay, the house looks presentable for national television. And then all the cameras arrived and the lights. And when they turned on the Klieg lights, the, the, the TV lights, she said, oh, my gosh, the level of filth that I saw in my house was, like, <laughs> horrifying. So however much we clean up our lives, mm. we're really still pretty filthy in God's sight. That's a good way. Only the blood of Jesus can cover that. And when we're in a revival personally uh, or in our church, God is showing us our sin, but he's also showing us, giving us a hunger for repentance and a hunger Mm. to be close to him. And then, Lord, how can you use me? Okay. So that's a revival. And it happens in individuals and it happens in families and it happens in churches and it can happen in the church, capital C, worldwide. Uh, an, An awakening is the individual person coming to faith. I was dead, I was blind, and now my eyes were open. This is the Apostle Paul, right? He was uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. He wasn't being revived. Mm-hmm. He, he was blind, and now he can see, literally. He's awakened and, from and, and he can sleep. see yeah. spiritually. And so he was dead in his trespasses, and then he woke up because mm-hmm. God did it. The Spirit of God did it in Saul's life, and then Saul became Paul. So every time an individual person comes to faith in Jesus, that is an individual awakening. Now, now when it begins to spread, 
that's exciting, right? In the Bible, in the, in the book of Acts, we see whole families come to faith, right? You know, the jailer in Philippi, there's an earthquake and he's terrified. Paul and Silas have been singing about Jesus all night. And he's probably like, oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, how can, when, when can we execute these guys? But then there's an earthquake and this sh- literally shakes this guy so badly. And God uses this shaking to wake him up. And he's like, mm. what must I do to be saved? And mm. they explain the gospel to him. He gives his life to Christ. He repents of his sins. And then he says, can I be baptized? And then his whole family gets saved. That's an awakening in a family. And then it can spread. Now, a great awakening, and I talk about it in implosion because when I first sent in the draft, I was like, here's all the bad things that are happening and all the ways that – all the reasons that America is going to be judged one day. And here's all the ways it could happen. Yeah. And then my publisher was like, mm, that's – yep, good. But you may want to add a little bit of hope, Joel. You may – you know, just mm-hmm. maybe want to expand that – that accordion and give people some music, son. And so I really dove into the first great awakening, the second great awakening. And it was, I, there was stuff I totally didn't know. I, I was so happy to put it in the book. So a great awakening is when it spreads across a, a state or a, a county or, or, or the country. And that's happened at least three times. We call it the first great awakening and the second great awakening. And people don't generally call the Jesus movement or the Jesus revolution of the seventies, the third Great Awakening. I would say it is, yeah, but absolutely. you know that's a semantic issue. Whether you know, yeah, I would agree with you. I think there is a, you know, just again, I, I know you and I have had friends who, like Pastor Greg Laurie and others that that I've known from the Christian music world and others who who were uh, hippies, <laughs> who were you know rebellious, disaffected, dislocated youth in the '60s. And then through what can only be described as a miraculous move of God's spirit, were brought out of darkness into light, and their lives were were turned around. Um, the power of a movement, whether it's the Great Awakening or the Second Great Awakening or this Jesus movement, is that it doesn't stay in the church. It doesn't stay within the four walls. It actually mobilizes. I know, you know, uh, both you and I have a uh, common DNA spiritually of, of Campus Crusade for Christ. And one of the most encouraging things, it was before my time, one of the most encouraging things in, in the Jesus Revolution movie was to see Explo 72 in, in Dallas and the footage yeah, of right. Billy Graham and Johnny Cash and, and right. all of these hippies gathered in the cotton bowl in Dallas, Texas for Jesus for three days, just, you know, just worshiping Jesus. And I'm telling you it can happen again, but it it is, it doesn't stay inside a church. It has to uh, move out. That's true. Revival. Dial back. Yeah. So dial back to the, to the early uh, 1700s. So, so most, you know, right. 1492 Columbus sells the ocean blue. He discovers America. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, well, you know, some people say it wasn't even Columbus. It was Amerigo Vespucci. And that's where we get the name America, right. From Amerigo Vespucci. And things every time Italian. with you. Joe. And I thought, well, thank God they didn't name it Vespucci land. That would be really <laughs> different. That's a tough Okay, Vespucci land, uh, God bless mm, Vespucci land. Vespucci anyway, land. <laughs> so the people that came to America, most of them, not all, but most of them were passionate about Jesus, and they wanted to bring the gospel. They thought they were going to India. Christopher mm-hmm. Columbus, go study. You know, I hope people will listen, listen to this will go study it. He was uh, he's almost certainly Jewish, and his name, Christopher, like mean the Christ bearer, right. and his job was, he believed, was to take the gospel to the, the country of India, the, the subcontinent of India. Yes, he was an explorer. Yes, he was a sailor. And yes, he was pretty shrewd at a time where 
Jews were being, you know, the, the Inquisition was starting in 19, 1492. He was able to go to the king and queen, uh, Ferdinand and Isabella, and say, um, hey, why don't you guys give me some money? I'm going to go find a trade route to India and bring you all kinds of riches and spices and all kinds of stuff, and I can do it faster and cheaper. And they, they you know, that was a, that was a Jewish startup nation uh, story and uh, yeah. they said okay so they invested <laughs> well he didn't get to india but he did bring the gospel to the people he called indians he shouldn't have but anyway they were native yeah. americans and whatever but the point is the others that came and started to colonize and, and and start to establish this new world they were looking for religious freedom and they wanted to bring the gospel to the native population and and many you know people did come to faith, although many atrocities were done too. So that's sure. a different podcast for a different time. Yeah. The point here is, by the time the country was just about to declare independence, people were so they were working hard, they were so focused, they were so upset politically, and they pretty much weren't paying attention to God. They weren't asking God to help them establish a country. They were just furious at the British uh, tyranny, and yet. So what happens up in New England, not Southern California at that time, New England, just outside of Boston and in the corridor between Boston and what we would consider New Hampshire now, there was an earthquake. Mm -hmm. uh, first, first, it was a really horrible, horrible war with the, the Wampanoag Indians, and it was a massive, brutal war, and a lot of people died on both sides, and people were devastated. This was sort of the geopolitical earthquake. Mm -hmm. Then came an actual earthquake which really scared people. And then in this little tiny church, just near, uh, either in Boston or just outside, I forget, with a 26-year-old preacher named Jonathan Edwards, people in his congregation, they just start to die. Yeah. A young person who's like in the prime of his life dies. One person after another, not just in the church, but in the community, they just start to die. And people got scared between the war and the earthquake. And now people are just dying for like seemingly no reason, right? They didn't have a lot of medical technology. It freaked people out, and they said, yeah. we need to get saved. We need to know where we're going when we die. And Jonathan Edwards starts preaching the gospel. And people will start getting saved, and they and, and believers start getting excited in the church. Hey, we need to go tell other people. This was pre-internet, pre-social media, but he writes a little booklet. He was seeing so many people get excited about the Lord and so many people come to faith that he wrote a little booklet. Basically, you know, I, I forget the exact name, but, you know, I probably have it here. But, but anyway, the point is it was just like sort of like – Basically, uh, here it is. Here it is. Uh, a faithful narrative of the surprising work of God. Yeah. 1738. Okay. Well, it starts getting distributed. And people start, hey, this is an interesting story. What, what happening in a church up in New England? And God starts moving in other churches and, and it just starts to spread. Now, did I always point out, and I point out in implosion, did this prevent the horrors of the American Revolution from coming? No. But it prepared the people spiritually mm -hmm. for being willing to go through it to get independence. And we could go in, you know, I, I, so I tell that story in, 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 in some detail. And George Whitfield comes from England yeah. and the Wesley brothers and so forth. But then about 100 years later, less than 100 years later, the kids and the grandkids are like, yeah, whatever. And now they're, they've, they're not going to church and they're drunk. And the country's pretty successful. It's free. And now it's successful. Things are growing. The economy's growing. Things are good. But people, they're, they're, by noontime, they're in a drunken haze, yeah. many of them. But God doesn't give up. And some faithful people start praying, Lord, please have mercy on our country. You did it before. Would yeah. you do it again? And wow, he, the Holy Spirit comes upon a few key pastors and preachers. And 
things start to move and the spirit starts to move, reviving inside the church. And then millions and millions of people, one guy, yeah. right? Um, Francis Asbury. Yeah. Oh, Frank. But anyway, he <laughs> is a Methodist circuit riding pre- gospel preacher. He gets on a horse and he goes like 250,000 miles or some crazy number. I don't remember the precise number. On he, didn't even get, he didn't even get a 1K, uh, you know, exactly. sticker, so He wasn't getting right. frequent uh, hoof miles. He <laughs> no was like, frequent hoof like, miles. And there weren't any, you know, holiday inns. He yeah. couldn't be a genius and go stay in one. So it was hard work. But he saw fruit. He saw people come to Christ. And then millions and millions of people come to Christ. They're like, well, what can we do to make our societies better? We should start schools. We should start hospitals. We should start ministries for the poor. You know what? Uh, slavery. It's wrong. We should be against it. We should take our stand that yeah. every man and woman is free. They're, they're created in the image of God. The whole abolitionist movement comes out of the Second Great Awakening. Now, yes. does it stop the horrific civil war? No. But it prepares the country for all the trauma that's ahead. Yeah. I don't want anyone to think that if God gives us another great awakening in our generation, that it's going to prevent judgment from coming or the implosion of the country or sure. other traumas. But people who give their life to Christ will know that they're safe and they can be used by God even in very, very hard times. So the more you learn, I, what I've found is the more people learn about what God has done in the past, certainly in the Bible, but even in the United States or in China or in Iran or, or you know, certainly here in Israel, the more our faith grows because we're like, mm-hmm. wow, God has done it in circumstances that seemed impossible. But that is, isn't that what God does? Yeah. He does the impossible. But we get, we can get discouraged. And I think many, many American believers right now are so discouraged yeah. by the implosion of individual families, marriages, children, drugs, the political system not going the way they want it to. I'm sympathetic to all of it. But they think, you know, whatever. I guess, you know, I, I believe in God, but I don't know. This is a time we really do need both a great revival and a great awakening. Yeah, I don't know if we get it, but I hope so. Well, you know, and I think this is where we really need to take it home because the, you know, the the point is with God, His purposes and His plans are are greater by definition than ours, right? We, if it was our choice, you know, prosperity, peace, easy living, you know, happiness, these would all be, you know. Uh, top of the list, right? God is more concerned with with holiness and with his with his glory and with with his name being made great, and not the things that we would occupy our minds with and 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 put ourselves front and center. So it's really important that people can see that you know, just like the verse of the day that we shared today, that there's going to be both and right. There's going to be evil increasing. You've you've pointed out some of the great evils that America has done in the past and is currently promoting and engaged in now. I mean, I don't want to, you know, make this a social commentary on uh, either a political or, or social level, but the stuff that American government and American aid is doing around the world to promote immorality and to promote evil, it's breathtaking. And as you said, God is not to be trifled with on this. God's judgment will come and it follows his plan and his pattern uh, just as it did with Manasseh's uh, evil. Uh, eventually, God's judgment must come. But at the same time, and you've seen it and you've shown it, God does relent from time to time. And he does bring revival to his people. He does bring awakening to the larger cultures and repentance there. He did to Nineveh, even, uh, you know, a godless, godless nation. Um 
And but speaking, uh, yeah. let me make one point on the Nineveh thing. This is going to sound political, and I don't mean it to be so. Right. So, when I first met Mike and Karen Pence hmm. years ago, uh, twenty, it was actually in the in twenty twelve. I I had just written the book Implosion, but they got interested in me because I, they were reading my novels. He was in Congress, and uh, you know nobody thought he was going to be the vice president of the United States or anything. You know, followers of Jesus from a Midwestern you know background, uh, Indiana. Anyway, they happened to know really well the chairman of the Joshua Fund at the time. Okay. And so the Pences were over at this uh, couple's house, uh, Fred and Sue Schween. Schween uh, Sue uh, serves on our, of course, you know this, but uh, serves on our Israeli Amuta uh, uh, board. And Fred was the cha- at the time was the chairman of the Joshua Fund uh, North America board. Anyway, they'd been longtime friends. Well, the Pences came over for dinner to the Schween house one night. And Mike sees a copy of one of my thrillers on the Schween's coffee table. And they're like, Mike is like, do you guys read Joel Rosenberg? Oh, yeah, we love his books. And uh, and in fact, we know him. We're on the, you know, we, we serve on the board of the Joshua Fund. And he's like, they're like, what? We'd like to meet him. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous, but that is what they said. And Fred's like, great. And so he texts me, hey, I'm with Mike and Karen Pence. They'd like to meet you. I'm like, great. Sure. <laughs> let's set it up. So anyway, we have lunch a, uh, a couple of days later uh, in D.C., right by the Capitol. And uh Anyway, we talked about novels a lot, and uh, but then I said, so I said, Mike, uh, what's your uh, or Congressman, uh, what's your, you know what are you reading in your quiet times these days? He goes, Oh, I'm in the Book of Nahum. I said, Oh, I love the Book of Nahum. He goes, You do? I said, Yeah. And so I tell him this thing. I said, Listen, Nahum was a prophet sent by God to where? To Nineveh. He comes 150 years after Jonah. Jonah gets sent to Nineveh. Nineveh doesn't want to. We all know the story. But God gives this huge, not only, well, there wasn't even a revival. Nobody was vibe there. It was a great awakening in the most wicked empire in the world. But by the time 150 years goes by, the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids of the Ninevites, who were following the one true God of Israel, now they've all fallen away. And and the whole place is filled with violence and sexual depravity and all kinds of horror. So God gives them another chance. He sends the Hebrew prophet Mm. Nahum. Now, it's interesting, Mike didn't, even make that connection between Jonah and, and Nahum because most recently it's not taught. Right. And even it's not even emphasized in the book of Nahum so much. But the point is, I said, listen, what's interesting is, you know, you have two examples. When Nahum preached judgment and repentance, nobody listened to him. And the judgment that God had pronounced during the Jonah era fell on the Ninevites and Nineveh was destroyed just as God said it would be. I said, the question I have, and I'm wrestling with it, is America living at a Jonah moment or are we living at a Nahum moment? Meaning when God sent Jonah to Nineveh and he didn't go, what did he do? He got on a cruise ship and he headed, you know, across the Mediterranean. Lovely trip, but wrong direction. direction. And where do we find Jonah? He's sleeping in the hull of a ship, right? He's the only person on the ship that knows God personally, but God, so what does God do? He sends a storm to do what? To wake Jonah up. But he first, he freaks out everybody else on the ship. And finally, the captain comes and finds him asleep. He's like, what are you doing asleep? And he's like, get up. Maybe your God could save us. Mm-hmm. Ergo, meaning his gods aren't, their gods aren't doing it. So all that to say, God uses sends a, a crisis, a, a massive life-threatening storm to shake a ship and wake up the prophet so that he will turn around and start telling the people on the ship and eventually in Nineveh about the one true God. But Jonah still doesn't want to do it. Anyway, when he eventually does it, it works. <laughs> and uh, and the Ninevites get saved. So the question is, if the church wakes up, 
and is revived, okay, in our day in a massive way and speaks the word of God lovingly mm. and winsomely and in the power of the spirit mm. to the culture that's so lost and going in the wrong direction very quickly, maybe the culture turns around yeah, from head to toe, from top to bottom. Yeah, That'd be awesome. But maybe the church is going to speak the word of God to the culture and the culture is going to say, forget it. We don't want it. Yeah. So are we at a Jonah moment or a Nahum moment? I don't know, but I'm just thinking about that conversation because my book was just about to come out. And, um, yeah. and now, and, and, and Mike got saved on the very campus uh, where Asbury University is in yeah. 1978. So he's part of the whole Jesus revolution a little bit later, but still he got saved on that very campus where the revival sure. is happening as we record this. So something is interesting going on here. And yeah. I don't know what the outcome is. None of us do, but we better be beseeching God, please. Yeah. Um, we know we deserve judgment, but we would love it if you poured out your spirit in a massive way for yeah. at least at least one more great awakening. Amen. Amen. Well, Joel, we have to leave it there. But, you know, this has been so helpful in really understanding where we are in this moment uh, between revival and awakening and uh, the evil and the and the implosion that's potentially ahead of us as well, the judgment. And, and let me add but, one sentence. Uh, sure. Short. Uh, we won't talk about it on this show, but we've talked about the war of Gog and Magog. We know when I don't know if it's the next, but I hope it's the next next massive awakening of the Jewish people are going to be. Ezekiel 38 and 39, yeah. where this war is about to, you know, these all these enemies come to try to destroy and consume and devour Israel. And yet God reaches in and saves Israel physically and then pours out his Holy Spirit. And many, many people are going to come to faith during that yeah. time. It's laid out uh, and there's earthquakes in there and judgments. and But there's the great awakening of the Jewish people. God says, I'm going to not hide my face from sure. the Jewish people anymore. That's something to look forward to. Well, it is actually something to look forward to as we see these events coming to pass. It it, it is uh, an encouragement to those of us who who believe, and that we can trust that God's ultimate plan is going to have its fulfillment. And to look at these things through the lens of faith is uh, is a beautiful thing. So, Joel, thank you so much for this uh, this really interesting set of podcasts here. And if you haven't listened to our first episode, please go back and and listen to that as well. It'll give you more. Context for the conversation we've had here today. And for each of you who has listened, uh, we are just so grateful for you. We're grateful for your uh, engagement with us at the Joshua Fund. And if you'd like to learn more about the Joshua Fund, you can visit our website at joshuafund.com. And there you can learn about what we're doing in the Middle East to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus and how you can participate in the healing work we're doing in this critical region. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Episode. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it or did you only make it part way? 
I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.